Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. Y'all doing good? Everyone there? Waking up? Kind of get there? Hey, turn to somebody next to you if it's appropriate and just say, you look good today. Don't be shy. You got to learn, if you're single, you got to learn to position yourself in the right place for these things because it could be a holy hookup. Uh, And I mean that in a good, Christian, clean way. Okay, let's see. This is going great, guys. Um, It's new. I'm just excited because we're doing a new series this morning. And new series are like, like Christmas morning for pastors and everything. Let me repeat what you just heard. We've linked arms with the families and the staff of Vista Square Elementary. And we tried to go and do a cleanup day and serve that school and be present with them. And then it rained on us. And so we rescheduled. We have a new date and it's March 14th. It's coming up. It's a a week from Saturday or something like that, and it'll be here before you know it. But here's the thing. You got to re-register. So if you were in on the first one and you still want to go to this one and you can be there and everything, you got to re-register. We don't transfer them over. We need to know who's going to be there. So you can do that on your app and everything. Uh, I'm going to pray before we do any talking, before we open God's word. I'm just going to pray on our behalf and and just say for all of us, God, we want to be on your page. We want to be in your story. We want to be synced up with you. And and so we're going to do that, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Let's do it. God and Father, there's no one like you. Your words are life. And to think that you think of us is just unthinkable. To think that you know us to the ground but love us to the sky is just unimaginable. And we say thank you. We say thank you for loving us. We say thank you for Jesus. We say thank you for including us in your family. God, as a community, we want to be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Once upon a time, there was a man who lived in Jericho. And he had gotten word that later that day, Jesus of Nazareth, the one who claimed to be the son of God, was going to be passing through town. He had a hunch that he would be coming on the north end of town on that one road that went north to south right through Jericho because he had heard that Jesus was in Galilee and would be coming that way. So he positioned himself at the city gate, standing on the edge where the guards would hold and stand and open where he could see in and maybe just maybe see this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rabbi and son of God. Just as expected later that afternoon, on that north road On the horizon, he sees a group of people. They're all circled around one man. Group is an understatement. He sees a crowd, a massive crowd. He can't barely make out the people in the front line of this crowd. There's so much dust from all the footsteps coming up on that one road to Jericho. And he knows this is his moment. The only problem is crowds have never been a strong suit for this man. Because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He makes a living off of charging people exorbitant taxes and living off the margins. On top of that, he was small. Not the metaphor small. Actually, a small person. And so the crowd grows closer. And there's Zacchaeus waiting for a look at Jesus. The only problem is, as the crowd comes in, he's just swallowed up in the sea of people. 
He doesn't even get near Jesus. Matter of fact, he doesn't even realize, he realizes he has no clue what Jesus actually looks like. But not to be detoured, Zacchaeus jumps around the gate and runs around the back alley ahead of the crowd and pops out about 200 yards down ahead of everyone and he's trying to get another look. He sees a sycamore fig tree right next to him. So he climbs it to the best of his ability and there he sits perched looking through this crowd at Jesus or for Jesus. And he's looking. I quickly realize when I think about this, I'm picturing a crowd, I'm picturing a group of people, I'm picturing looking for Jesus in that crowd, and in my mind's eye, I'm picturing what thousands of paintings and Christian pictures have told me Jesus Christ looks like. Zacchaeus stood in that tree and had no idea who he was looking for. Just a Hebrew man, about 32 years old. And as the crowd comes down, he can see that the crowd, the centerpiece in this crowd is one man. And it must be him. The crowd moves towards him. Man moves towards him. And then the most unthinkable thing happens next. He gets to that tree. He looks up. And as he stops, the whole crowd stops. Because when a rabbi stops, it usually means he has something to say or share. Looks into that tree with kindness, tenderness, smile on his face. The man says, Zacchaeus, what are you waiting for? I've got to have dinner at your house today. And at once, two things happen. The crowd begins to grumble. They sneer. I love Eugene Peterson's translation in the message version of the scriptures. It says, what's this man doing getting cozy with a crook? And the grumble is almost tangible because everyone in Jericho is thinking, it's like the greatest man in history came to town and we want to put our best foot forward and he just bumped into Zacchaeus. What's he going to do with Zacchaeus? Wait till he finds out, what is the God-man doing with him? But Zacchaeus didn't mind because he wanted Jesus more than just about anything else in the world. He goes. Jesus, the crowd, many of them back to Zacchaeus' house for an impromptu feast. We don't know what happened. But we know whatever happened at that banquet that night transformed Zacchaeus. Because in the middle of the dinner, this man who had lived off of extortion and exploitation stands up for the whole banquet and says, Attention, everyone! As God is my witness, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'm going to repay them more so, even more than I'm taken. And then, not to be outdone, in one of the most scandalous moments in Christian history, Jesus throws his arm around Z and says, Oh, by the way, this man is a part of my family, and this is why I've come, to seek and save the lost. 
And if you don't believe me, you can see it for yourselves. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered the town Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he got down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost got a note sheet in your bulletin that's the pen and everything and some quick points jump out of this text and into our lives if you'll allow them number one is simply this people are more hungry for God than we realize now go back to Zacchaeus for a moment and think of the lengths he went to to get a glimpse of Jesus he was hungry for something he ran ahead of this crowd and climbed a tree. That's a daring proposition because let me tell you something. When was the last time you saw a man in a tree? Zacchaeus was likely wearing a robe at the time. Can I tell you something? If you see your commanding officer up in a tree one day just looking, he will not be your commanding officer for very long. If you live downtown and you see a guy just chilling in a tree... Let me tell you something. Somebody's going to come along eventually and get him down. It's awkward. But there was a hunger in Zacchaeus' soul that was greater than keeping up appearances with the people around him because he was hungry for God. Can I share something with you that you probably won't see on mainstream media this week? People are still hungry for God. When you look at the state of faith, in our country and around the world, you'll notice 89% of Americans still believe in God. 80% of Americans say they would visit church if a friend would invite them. Globally, Christianity is growing faster than the total population growth. The evangelical and Pentecostal denominations are the fastest growing, and they are still accelerating in their growth rate. And the global percentage of atheists is currently decreasing. And meanwhile, when you look at the state of life, I'll just look at this country for a minute. If you go to the state of well-being in our nation, at the same exact time, only one-third of Americans are getting enough sleep and sleeping well. 46% of Americans are going to experience some kind of mental health issues. There's a 50% divorce rate, 189 million households carrying over $8,000 in credit card debt, and reports of insecurity on the rise across all demographics. What's going on here? Let me explain. First of all, people are more hungry for God than you might realize. It's just that they don't realize what they're looking for yet. Do you see that? 
Do you know what sleep-deprived, depressed, anxious people with broken relationships and high anxiety want more than anything else in the world? They want to feel better. They want to be known. They want to be held. They want to be put back together. They want something they can hold on to. And what they're looking for, although they have not realized it yet, is a relationship with God. They've tried buying their way to happiness. They've tried adding more credit card debt and a few more items to kind of medicate the mediocrity that they feel in their lives. They've tried to posture and post their way to more likes and followers, and it's not working. And they're looking for something that can help them. They're looking for someone who will hold them. The world is hungry for God. There's a sociologist and ethnographer named Dr. Mark Sayers. And he's looked at history and what's happening in our culture right now. And he's described that this is a very predictable pattern. Because through history, you see these movements where everybody thinks they can live without God. They try it, it doesn't work, and they go running back to him. It happened in the Enlightenment. It happened in the financial boom of the 80s. We were postmodern. Now we're like pre-postmodern. I don't know, we're something modern. And if you look at people's worldviews and all that stuff. But long story short is simply this. People tried living without God have discovered that life isn't working without him and the tide is coming back in because people are now looking for him. People are more hungry for God than we realize. The problem is the things that we see around us that are people's expressions of that hunger, we roll our eyes and get annoyed with because they're just those sloppy, unchristian people. Those groans you hear, the sleepless nights they talk about, the Instagram posts, the insecure comments, the medicating with materialism are people looking for God. The immature comments, the broken relationships, that person who just told you about how their home life isn't working is someone looking for God. They may not realize what they're looking for yet, but they are looking for him. Second idea is simply this. When people find Jesus, they find what they're really looking for and their lives are transformed. We see that in our story with Zacchaeus. We don't know what happened at his house that day. You better believe when I get to heaven on my Netflix queue, when I get to look through all this stuff and see what really happened and look at some of these stories and encounters and Jesus moments, Zacchaeus' banquet is on my queue. I want to go into that house. I want to rub elbows with those people. It'll be VR. You can like walk around and look at the scene and heaven on that. And, and, and I want to be in there. And I just want to know what Jesus said because we don't know. We know that Zacchaeus found what he was looking for because he came out transformed. But we don't know. I wonder if Jesus was like, buddy, how's it going? And Zacchaeus just said, Terrible. I wonder if Jesus just looked at him and said, I, I, I know. I know. I know how you make a living. I know how it makes you feel. I know about the drinking you do to cover up how it makes you feel. 
And my son, I just want you to know I love you. We don't know. But we know Zacchaeus found Jesus, and in Jesus he found what he would always been wanting. I know when broken people find Jesus, they find what they're looking for, and they're transformed. I know because it happened to me. I know because I was an insecure, frightened, petty, small boy. Not anymore. And I transformed when I found Jesus. Some of you guys know this too. Because you swore up and down. You swore up one side and back down the other. You would not be a church person. Yeah, I'm not going to church. Don't they know that it's playoffs? Somebody had to drag you to church and you just went, arms folded. You sat here like this for six months. It's playoffs on the Sunday and can't they move this thing and make it happen? The guy up there always talks too much and here's the problem and I'm not singing those songs. Who sings? Even though I sing in my car by myself, I just complain when I come to church and people start singing and I'm not gonna. And then here you are. And you got some people, you're you're at the house like, come on guys, they got that countdown. I just like to get my coffee. I like to sit there and just enjoy God before we enjoy God. And you're a church person now. You got church clothing. You're at church doing church things. You're signing up, you're helping people. You're in. What happened? You found what you were really looking for in Jesus. Some of you used to keep everything you had to yourself. And you had been sold this vision of make as much as you can, keep as much as you can, and keep everyone away from it. Now you're generous, and you use what you have to make the world a better place in Jesus' name. You give away portions of money that would have once been unthinkable to you because you found Jesus and you found what true satisfaction really is. Some of you used to sleep terribly because your life was riddled with guilt, shame, and fear, but now you sleep peacefully because you found a security that is greater, oh, it's greater than anything you ever tasted before. I believe that when people find Jesus, they find what they're really looking for, and they're transformed. Finally, I'm gonna break away from the story for just a moment. Number three is simply this. We are Jesus' plan to help lost people find their way back to him. We are Jesus' plan to help lost people find their way back to him. Jesus said at the end of this passage, there was that statement in Luke 19, verse 10. Today salvation has come on this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus. For the son of man came, Jesus' own words saying what he's doing here and why he's here. And he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And that's exactly what we watch Jesus do with his life. Everywhere he went, he sought out people far from God and helped them find their way back to him. That's what he did with his life on earth until he died, raised from the dead, and then ascended into heaven. But right between his resurrection and leaving in ascension, he gave us some instructions. And he said, what you've seen me doing, you're going to do. What you've seen me up to, you're going to be up to. 
You've heard us called, have you ever heard the, the church people called the body of Christ? Give me, give me a little hand, a little Christian hand raise. You know, don't be shy. There you okay, go. You've heard that. It's all over scripture. Romans 12, Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, dozens of times in scripture. The body of Christ. Now, I used to think that meant like, check out that body of work, or there's a body of people over there, and it means group. But I learned that's a very shallow understanding of those words. Because when we're the body of Christ, it literally means what Jesus was doing with his body when he was on earth, he is now doing through us his body of, on, on earth. You catching that? What Jesus did while he was here, he is now doing through us. The seeking and the saving and the reaching and the finding and the loving that Jesus did while he was here, he has now handed us that job and he is doing it through us. We are his body to carry out his work on earth. Now, this idea is mentioned dozens of times in the pages of scripture. And in Matthew 28, and he says, go and make disciples. And John, he says, the father sent me, I'm sending you. In Acts 13, I have made you light. He says this all the time. It is our job. We are plan A and there is no plan B. Some of you guys, here's, let me sit on one of these for a minute. Some of you guys have heard these words before. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. If you go to the next one for me, John. Y'all heard this before? Give me a Christian nod, okay? One of these days, you'll actually say yes when I ask you a question, but we'll get there. Do you know what he goes on to say? This verse is cool. I could preach the fever out of my body with a verse like this. But do you know what he says next? He goes on. He says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Time out. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And, okay, and means it doesn't end there. And means we don't get saved by God and wait for heaven. And means there's more to the story. All of this is from God who won us to himself and what? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Go to the next one. And he has, oh boy. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are, we are therefore, because of God's work, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God is now making his appeal to a broken, and hungry world through us. All of the groans, all of the sleeplessness, all of the pain, all of the brokenness. God is craving relationship with those people. He's craving healing and hope for those people. And now he's saying, I'm going to make my appeal to them through you. Let me educate you, Gen Z. I'm going to take you back in time. I'm looking at you guys, you kids right here. I'm going to take you back in time. It was a special time. Time where romance ran thick in the air. Us older people called it high school or middle school. Now this was a time before dating websites, before Christian Mingle, eHarmony, before Farmers Only. This is before Instagram. This is a time when you had, you had to enter into a relationship in hopes that this person wasn't psycho. This is a time 
where you had to like just observe what was going on in somebody's life and you couldn't run through the feed, you couldn't bumble, I don't even know what that is, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't slide into the DMs, none of it. Oh, back in the day though, we had a utility. It was the love note. Come on now. It was the love note and all God's people said, amen. Okay, let me tell you something. You saw somebody you liked you got out the old piece of paper and you wrote down your thoughts and undying affection in letter form. And you'd just be like, I noticed you noticing me and I wanted to put you on notice that I have noticed you too. And then the girls, they knew how to fold it. Y'all remember that? I'm taking you back. Just take notes because this whole thing's going to crash one day and you'll have to go back to notes and stuff for like a week before they fix it. You're going to need this. And they could fold it and make it a triangle in the front with a heart on there and a little tab that said, pull here. And then, since this was the 90s, if, if you were a guy, you would break out your Davinov cool water and just give it a little, you know, your curve, your Abercrombie. I don't know what the, the girls, it was in my day, it was the Bath and Body Works scent of the week. And you'd go in there and soak that thing. And, and then you had your note ready. Now, note people, help the boy out. Did you deliver the note yourself? No. no. Say it again. Did you deliver the note yourself? No. What did you do? You got your most trustworthy friend who was not as good looking as you, and then you gave them the note, and you said, I got a job for you. I know you thought it was Friday, but I, well, this is an important day because I got to express my undying affection for Boo over here, and you're the messenger. And you would send your friend to take your love letter to the person that you cared about deeply. God says, I have written my love letter to humanity through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have made payment for the sins. I have shown my love through the love of Christ, through Jesus coming and dying for your sins, raising from the dead and ascending into heaven. And church, you are now the messenger. It is our job to give God's love letter to humanity. And this is where we've messed it up the worst. This is where Christians have made a mess of things. Because Jesus said, I want you to love the world into the kingdom of God. And then we showed up with picket signs at abortion clinics. Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. And we delegated the job to leaving Christian tracts on restaurant tables to do the work for us. This is where we messed it up because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, my ambassadors to the world. And we thought he meant, pastors like me came up and said that he meant, you got to corner your friend at work at the water cooler, ask them if they know where they would go if they died tonight, make the whole relationship awkward for the next 10 years in the business relationship and, and it's not working. I had to pull global statistics about how the church is on the rise because the last 50 years Christians have made a mess of this. But I'm not surprised because we're doing a bunch of stuff that Jesus never asked us to do. Not once, not, never not once did Jesus ask somebody if they knew where they would go if they died tonight. 
He didn't say, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and leave pieces of paper on restaurant tables. He taught us to love the world into the kingdom of God. Oddly enough, when we get back to that, when we get back to being like Jesus, people can't get enough of that. And so that's where we're going. First week of every new message series is of where we're going. And, and here's the statement. Everywhere Jesus went, light won over darkness, dead things came to life, hungry people found the God they were craving. And if we could return to simply living like Jesus, we could see these things happen as well. Do you ever notice that stories like this Zacchaeus thing happened all the time with a Jesus? Everywhere he went, lives were being lifted. People were finding salvation. People who were nothing like Jesus liked being around Jesus. There was something winsome about him. And my point and our hope and our whole thing for six weeks is like, if we could just be like Jesus... I think we would see dead things come to life, light shine in darkness, and hungry people find the God that they're craving. What if we gave it six weeks and said, let's just live like Christ. Let's study the way he loved. Let's learn from the influence that he maintained. Let's see how he talked to people and how he treated people. Build our lives on that and see if we see the same thing happening here as well. So I'm going to make sense of these signs that you saw. If you were awake when you came in, you notice we put signs in your way that said B-R-I-N-G. And then we flipped them so when the, the other is the back of the other one. So when you go out, it's supposed to say, I don't know if it does, it's supposed to say B-R-I-N-G on your way out. It might be like B-G-R-I-N or something. But, but it's supposed to say bring, B-R-I-N-G. We live to see God bring life. And here's what we've done. We studied the way that Jesus was towards the world around him and just why it was that he was so influential. And we crunched it into this acronym, B-R-I-N-G. You've got it in your notes. And you notice that Jesus didn't do anything crazy in his life. He would simply be, begin with prayer. And there were all kinds of people who wanted his time, his life, and his energy. And all the time we'd see Jesus heal away Spend time in prayer. In the book of John, in this next verse, you get this little look inside Jesus' prayer life. Jesus gave them this answer, very truly, I tell you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And it's a look inside Jesus' prayer life, and it shows us that Jesus didn't simply wake up in the morning and go, God, I need this. I need you to fix that. These three people bother me. Could you do something about them? Jesus' prayer life was, God, I see that you are up to something, and I want to be a part of it. I see that you're on the move, and I want to be moving with you. God, I see that, that you're writing a story, and if you hand me the pen, I want to write your story with my life. Jesus began there. Here's the crazy thing. You could do that. You could do that. You could begin your days saying, God, I know you're up to something in this world and I want to be a part of it. We also notice that Jesus always recognized this area, that's our, 
Recognize your area. What I mean is, Jesus viewed the places he went and was intentionally. There's this other verse here in, in, in Luke at the end, or in our Luke passage, and he, he tells Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Why did Jesus want to go there when he went to Jericho? Because there were more people like Zacchaeus there. There's this amazing story in John 4, I don't have time to tell you, about Jesus' conversation with this woman that transforms her and, and totally brings her into the kingdom of God, and she brings me with her. But right before that story, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And it's interesting because Jesus saw the places that he found himself as assignments from God. It's interesting because we could also do that. We could see where God has placed us as our little assignment and go, I'm going to bring the light and life found in Jesus to this place. You could see your school as your assignment. You could see the bleachers that you sit and those families you sit next to as your assignment. You could see the place of work as your assignment and say, God's given me this place. And as far as I'm concerned, there's going to be light in this place. You could do that. Jesus also, I invested in learning stories. I think you'll notice a theme here. You could do that too. Oddly enough, when you look at Jesus' personal interactions with people, he listened more than he spoke. He didn't run his mouth. He asked a lot of questions. And it's interesting how just a few questions can bring walls down in relationships. Hey, how long have you guys lived here? Oh my gosh, you're brand new. Do you, do you have everything you need? How are your kids doing at the school? Mine go there too. Is there anything we can do to help you feel settled here? What do you do when you're not working here? Oh my gosh, what, do you, what, what was that vacation like for your family? Has your son gotten well yet? Those questions, simple, simple questions, they go such a long ways in opening hearts and letting walls fall. Jesus also, and noticed needs and met them. I'm not just talking, he did miracles when people needed miracles. Almost every time Jesus influenced somebody personally, he met simple needs that you could meet in the world around you. Zacchaeus needed to be noticed. Matthew needed to be included. The Samaritan woman needed to be listened to. The blind man just needed help seeing who Jesus really was. I bet there's people in your life right now who just want to be noticed, who want to be heard, who want to be listened to, who just need some help seeing the love of Jesus. And I bet you could do that. And G, we see him just give a glimpse of God's goodness. Jesus sprinkled the love, of, love and goodness of God on every relationship he ever formed. And can I just let you off the hook this, 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 this morning? 
Because make no mistake about it, we are six weeks away from Easter. And it's not an accident that we're talking intentionally about looking at the world around us. But I know it's in the back of your head. You're doing the, oh, this is that evangelism thing. He's going to make me go invite my friends. And I don't want to make it weird. And I, I tried that five times when I was in high school. And it cost me a few friends. And I'm not trying to roll in and ruin that. I got some people around me now. I don't want to wreck all that up. We just like going to CrossFit and drinking coffee. Can we just not? And I get that. But I'm not sending you in to wreck up everything by stepping too far. I'm asking you to model the pattern of Jesus and see strategic opportunities to sprinkle in the goodness of God when he gives you the opportunity. Can I let you off the hook? Can I tell you something? When we start doing the influence the world thing, there's this vision, this unrealistic expectation that A, I got to know someone who's hungry for God, and then I found them, and, and, then, and then they're going to just say something to me like, boy, I just wish there was hope. And I'm going to go, bing, 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 bing. And then I'm going to say a quick prayer, and I'm going to be like, well, did you know there's hope in Jesus? And they're like, what? There's hope in Jesus? Yeah, there's actually hope in Jesus. Oh, my gosh. Tell me about this Savior of yours. And you're like, well, he died on a cross and rose again. What must I do to be saved. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then follow Jesus and trust him with your life. Okay, dunk. They come to church. They hop out of the tub, and, and it just so happens they're really hospitable, and they have a good singing voice, and they go, do you have a team that could welcome people to this church? I go, yeah, it's called the welcome team. What must I do to be like, well, we'll sign you up for a welcome team. Can I share my testimony and sing? Yeah, absolutely. And then this person overnight, y'all just like, y'all just talk Thursday, and there's this expectation by Sunday that they've got to have one foot in heaven and the other on earth, and, and then you just facilitated the whole thing. And can I just tell you, I've never seen that happen in my life, ever. What I do see is faithful men and women playing their part, planting seeds, watering them, and over time, God making those things grow. I don't want to rob Jeremy. Uh, Y'all know Jeremy, our other pastor. He has this story. Uh, when we first met, he was a middle school pastor. I was a high school pastor at the same church. And, and Jeremy met up with this kid for like a season of three years and invested in him and studied the Bible with him and all this stuff and, 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 and like, like picked him up from school and, and, you know, babysat for the parents and the parents and he played Xbox with him and played basketball. And then the kid was always at the church and Jeremy always found something for the kid to do so he could feel welcome. And, and Jeremy poured into this kid for three years and nothing happened spiritually. The kid graduates into high school, into my ministry, and I was like, hey, man, what's going on? And he goes, man, Matt, I've been thinking about it. I want to get baptized. I go, all right, praise God. Dunk the kid. We celebrated. Jeremy's over there looking like, what in the, this thing? But, it, but that's how it goes. It is those small steps and those small movements. I wish we could show, you know, we, we, we have this habit, and we're going to get back into this, of, doing baptism, like when somebody gets baptized, we share their story on a video, and we tell like the 90-second version of, I was in a dark place, and then God, and then this, and now I'm getting dunked, and we're like, yeah, but a better video would be the behind the scenes of the video, 
where that one Christian person was really tired and exhausted, but they wanted to build a bridge to the life of this person. And they're like, sure, we'll watch your kids. And the kids just come over to the house and wrecked everything up and tore it apart. And that nice Christian person saw the mom who was tired and said, dude, these kids are just the best kids I've ever seen. Here you go. Oh, God, boy, be with you. Okay. And then, and then they cleaned everything. They're like, dang it, that stinking person. And I'm going to do this. And then they, they invited him to church on Easter. And the person said, yes, we'll come. It's Easter. Sounds good. And and then you, you talk to the whole family. You're like, don't screw this up. And then you gave me the wink like, hey, Matt, I got friends coming this Sunday. And that really means don't screw this up for me. And, and then you save the two seats for them. And then they text you 10 minutes before they're supposed to be here. Like, yeah, we're not going to make it this week. And then you're on Instagram and they're at brunch with the other friends instead of where they told you to be at church. And you just said, all good. And then they just went off and did their thing. And then you watch the kids three more times. And then all the way down here, five years later, they're like, hey, do you guys still go to that church? And you're like, yes. I'm like, can I come this week? They're like, sure. And then they come to church with you five years later. And then they're like, oh my gosh, where has this been? On? Why didn't you tell me? And you're like, I didn't told you for five years. That's how it actually happens. But what the world needs is Christians who are willing to stand in that gap and play their part and give an encouraging word when it's time to encourage, and watch the kids when they need a sitter, and to show up for them when nobody else will show up, and to say, hey, could I pray for you, and to say, oh, this podcast really helped me, maybe it'll help you, and it is all those little glimpses of God's goodness that build bridges to Christ. That's what the world needs. That's bring life people. That's what bring life people do. So I'm challenging you. I'm challenging me and I'm challenging us to the B-R-I-N-G challenge. Here it is. Every day for the next six weeks, I'm challenging you to do one of these letters. Not all of them all the time. Every day, one letter a day, however you want. Every day, a B. I'll begin by praying. Another day, an I. I'm going to ask questions and get to know the people around me. Another day, if God gives you the opportunity, gee, give a glimpse of God's goodness. Every day, one letter a day for the next six weeks. We want to invest in you for that. And we want to equip you for that. And so that's why you have these boxes under your chair. I cannot believe who, nobody rummaged in their box. Like I was like, you put me in church and there's a box in there that says bring life. I'm in that thing. But here's what it's got. We've got these magnets that we want you to put on your fridge to remind you, B-R-I-N-G. And under G, it has a bunch of the different ways. You go ahead, get the thing. I'll show you. All right, take your time. B, begin with prayer. R, recognize your area. I, invest in stories. And notice needs to meet them. G, give a glimpse of God's goodness. And then like 20 different ways for you to do that. Um, we put together this Bible study. And it's just a simple little five-page thing. And each one of the letters has a Bible study that goes with it. And a guided exercise to help you do that in your own world and in your own life. And we want you to use that. 
The Sharpie, we bought Sharpies for the thing because it's got slick pages and you need a Sharpie, not one of those crappy Amazon rip-off markers. If you're going to do the Lord's work, you need a Sharpie. Um, the welcome team said I shouldn't do this because they've seen you all drive before, but we have these car magnets um, that you can stick onto your car, not just so you can be like, hey, look at my church, but so you have a reminder of who God's calling you to be everywhere you go. And then we got this $5 bill. And one of you has 100 in your box right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not for you anyways. But you're going to put this on your, in your wallet, wherever you carry your money. And you're going to use this to bring life to somebody else in your world. And together, we're going to bring life the world around us. And I just want to tell you something. You can do this. I believe in you. Okay, this is that talk. This is the like, get out there and fly, birdie. Like, come on. We did God's movement in my life, and here's God, and he's talking to you, and the plans for you, and the thing for you, and how he wants to lead you, and guide you, and shape you. And, and that is good, but now it's time to fly. This is a, hey, go, go live it out and be the real deal message. And I'll tell you what, I know you can do it. Here's why. In 1975, there was a man named Eldon Ross who lived in Palmyra, Illinois with his wife, Margaret. And they were advanced in their years and they were faithful members of the little community church in that 800-person town in Palmyra. And Margaret, Margaret was an evangelist because over 25 families, not people, families at that church called that place their home because of Margaret. She was quick to bake a pie when she sensed somebody needed a little extra love. She was quick to lend an ear when somebody needed someone to talk to. She was quick to watch kids and meet needs. And she did it to build bridges between people and Jesus. Then suddenly in 1975, she got sick, passed away in a few quick years, or a few quick months rather leaving Eldon Ross there by himself. And Eldon got to thinking about his life and his faith and how eventually his time would come. And he realized, after the grieving in the weeks that followed, so much of what had happened in their family spiritually happened because of Margaret and not himself. And he started thinking about just how short his time would be and how he wanted to make an impact like his wife had. He didn't want it to die with her. He wanted that legacy of spreading the faith and love of Jesus Christ to live on and lit this fire in him. Even though he is in one of the last chapters of his life. So he just tried to think of what Margaret would do. And he started loving people, listening to people, sharing Christ and inviting to church everyone he could. As a matter of fact, he set out this goal where he would invite every single person into town. His goal was to invite everyone to church before he had passed or they did. And he did pretty well with that. Save one encounter with one man in town 
named Marvin Jenkins. And it's a small town and it's a small church, so everybody knows who's at church and who's not and why they're not and where they are. And Eldon knew the story behind Marvin was simply that he never considered himself a church person. So Marvin's wife would take the kids to church and they'd all be really nice and hospitable. The kids would grow and everyone would ask her, hey, where's Marvin? She'd say, he doesn't feel like he's a church person. And Eldon said, you know what? I'm at least going to reach out to this guy one time. So Eldon had began praying for ways to build a gospel bridge between Jesus and Marvin. And one day, Eldon was at the county fair, and, and throw the images of Delmar Fair out of your mind. I'm talking county fair. The, the people, they don't got teeth when they work the rods. They sell switchblades to miners, and there's these little shops with leather goods. Some of y'all have been to that fair before, and, and they sell leather goods and little trinkets, and there's this guy with a tent selling belt buckles. And... Eldon knew that Marvin was into belt buckles, and maybe I'll get him a belt buckle, and if it's unique and special, and maybe this gesture can just open some door where some light could come in. So he picks up this belt buckle from Canada, and he goes, I know enough about Marvin to know he hasn't left Illinois in the last 50 years. So he collects belt buckles, and I bet this Canadian belt buckle will be pretty exotic. And he knew it was from Canada because of the maple leaf on there. And so he grabs it and he puts it in this little box that he's overthinking it. What, I don't want it to look sissy. It's got to be manly. So he finds a box for it and he's going to give this belt buckle to Marvin and practices the lines. Maybe like you have a hundred times. Here's a belt buckle. Thought you might like it. Maybe you would enjoy it and come to church with me. Here's a belt buckle. Saw you might like it. Maybe you could come to church with me. And he does that nervous walk up Marvin's driveway. He hands him the box shaking. Marvin opens the box and to Elvin's, Elvin's dismay, Marvin just chuckles and begins to scoff almost. Elvin's just petrified. I mean, he's staring at the face of rejection. And Marvin goes, Elvin, where'd you get this bell buckle, man? And he goes, oh, at the fair. And he goes, and you got this for me? He goes, yeah, for you. I just figured maybe you'd like to come to church or something. He goes, Ellen, and here's what had happened. See, what Eldon thought was a Canadian maple leaf turned out to be something different. <laughs> and he says, Marvin, I just wanted to invite you to church. I thought you'd like the bell buckle. Now at this point, Marvin's too embarrassed to say anything to Elvin. And he goes, all right, thanks. Smiles, puts the bell buckle on the shelf, and they go about their business. Elvin walks away going, I've blown it. I don't know why. But then Marvin began to think about how Elvin was thinking of him. And he began to think, man, if he cares enough to risk it all and give me a present, and he really wants me to come to church this Easter, maybe I'll give it a try. And he did. And that Easter, the pastor talked about a Savior who's got space for everyone at his table. And Marvin decided he wanted a seat. And he got baptized, followed Jesus until he had passed. Now after, 
these stories, you guys, some people come to me and go, Matt, you make that stuff up. Come on. And I'm excited to tell you I've got proof that this really happened. And I'm here to tell you if God can use a marijuana belt buckle to win people to Jesus, I bet he can use you too. Let's pray. God and Father, fill us, embolden us, empower us to live for you. God, I pray that as we step from this place, that we would bring the light and life found in Christ with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.